Rejection most times is the redirection we need to unlock our truest potential. Life puts us in some uncomfortable and unexpected situations despite our efforts and plans. So how do we look at failures as opportunities? How do we deal with life's uncertainties, identify some losses as wins, all while not labeling ourselves as total losers or failures? You'll find out right here on Redirection with Terry Carell. Welcome to another episode of Redirection with Terry Carell. How is everyone doing? Listen, we lived to see yet another week and I am just so grateful. As usual, I took the time, I went across the different social media platforms and I told you, I promised you that I would be picking a couple comments across social media and airing them during the podcast. So I just want to say shout out to Londi Mori who on Twitter said, my new favorite podcast is Redirection with Terry Carell. Um, Gabriella Burke also on Twitter said, my absolutely favorite podcast, Keep Shooting Beyond the Stars. And over on LinkedIn, Cheryl Hay Ward said, um, this is one of the best podcasts ever. Dr. Reed, you just know how to connect with our talents. Again, thank you guys. Very encouraging. You always know how to boost a girl's confidence and I really do appreciate it. So continue to you know, share your reviews, your ratings and um, send your comments and you know definitely I'll take the time to go through all of them. So I have some good news. You know, um, for persons who may not be very familiar with me, I am a I'm a TV host as well as an event host. And over the years, I've called a thousand names of awardees, persons who are winning lifetime achievement awards. And I typically don't get awards. You know what I mean? I don't get nominated. But on Wednesday, I opened a gift box at the Youth Dia Summit closing ceremony for which I was the keynote speaker. And the summit had conducted classes and workshops for over 500 youths across the island under the theme, Refocus, Refresh, Reward and Recognize. And on their survey, they were asked to indicate who motivated them or had the biggest impact on them in 2020. And they named me for being a source of motivation, character molding and a positive example of distinction for young people, especially in these unprecedented times. And I just want to say thank you to the ILE, um, thank you to the Trust for Americas, and it was also funded by Citibank. So thank you so very much for the kind consideration. Now, number two, I'm happy to welcome Toyota Jamaica on board as a partner. Woohoo! And just surely know that no matter where your journey takes you and no matter how many times you get redirected, Toyota Jamaica is definitely going to be there to take you places. So thank you so very much. Welcome on board Toyota Jamaica. And of course, if you're interested in partnering um, with the podcast, then just visit my website, terrycarell.com, and let us have that conversation. So let's get into my guest for today. Her story actually came to me by way of my inbox. Instafam reached out and said, have you seen this girl? Have you heard her story? We think she'd be a perfect guest on your show. And I said, well, get the number and I will follow up. And let me tell you, her story is going to blow your mind. Very humble beginnings, moved a lot, moved through different inner city um, inner city communities um, and despite all of that and despite childhood trauma of being in volatile communities this is a woman who had a plan made a plan stuck to the plan and now she is winning trust me you are going to want to stick and stay and you're going to want to listen to the conversation that Qdian King 
has to offer. This is now Redirection with Terry Carell. to get the most out of every minute and every mile of your life. That's why Toyota is the brand most Jamaicans drive for life. Reliable, affordable, and durable. Everything you want from a vehicle, Toyota delivers. Enjoy your life's journey with a Toyota. Toyota Jamaica. Let's go places. It's interesting. It was an InstaFam member who reached out to me and said, I don't know if you know this girl's story, but I think she'd be a great interviewee. And I said, if you get her number, I will call her. It's actually a past sent you student. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not very social media. So I'm not a very social person overall. So when (laughs) this happened, I... Didn't know how to quite react, but I it was Miss Crawford who would have made the initial post. Yeah. So the friend I reached out to and said that, you know, I showed um this post to Terry Carell and she's interested. So if you could get her for me, and here we are. Oh my goodness. First of all, congratulate. First of all, the pronunciation of your name is it Quidian? It's Qudian. So Q-dian. the I after the U is silent, right? All right. I'm sure I'm sure Jamaicans be butchering your name all the <laughs> I time. I'm sure. Qudian, <laughs> Qudian King. Welcome. Right. Welcome. Thank you so very much for being in the redirection seat with me. Um, I'll be very honest with you. You know, you see all these graduation pictures floating all over right. the place. Like it is graduation season. And there's some people who, most of the persons you don't know, but you know, you congratulate them because we know what it's like to go through college. Right. Right. And, um, as I was saying, it was a, it was a a member of my Insta family who sent your photo and it wasn't even from your page because you weren't on Instagram at the time. Instagram. Yeah. It was a tribute that was made to you to big you up for all that you have been through. And the right. InstaFam member said, Terry Carell, you need to find this girl. He, you know, interviewer. interviewer because we think she has a story that will inspire everyone. Right. So first of all, let me just say, Qudian King, even though your last name is King, you are a hell of a queen. All right? Thank you. And congratulations on getting your bachelor's. Is it in law? Yes, it is in law. And, and I say H-O-N-S for people who don't know what that is. That is honors. Honors. That means say you're well bright. Well, well bright. <laughs> All right. So, so, so tell me, because a part of what your, your story was about was starting from your humble beginnings and certainly what you've experienced, right. making you who you are today. The first question I'm going to ask right. is, did you always want to be a lawyer or as a younger girl growing up, you had other plans? Nigerians. So... It is quite surprising to everyone when this uh, news came to fusion because I've never wanted to be anything else. It is a funny story. 
because people have been reaching out to me from primary school, from basic school, saying, you've never wanted to be anything else. Wow. So I have a book that I've had from, I was around seven. Yes. And in that book, I, my future occupation, I had where I wanted to be an attorney at law. So it's quite funny because I've never moved through the stages of wanting to be an aerosist or a teacher or, or a, a doctor. Mm-hmm. Nothing. I've always just wanted to be a lawyer. Well, that's beautiful. And that makes you very rare because I think all of my guests so far, what they're doing now, what they're pursuing now is absolutely nowhere near what, what they, they said they wanted to do. So, um, so as I was saying earlier, your story captured, I think, the hearts of those persons who've had the opportunity of reading it or just even seeing the tribute that was done to you under your graduation picture. But for many people, um, they may not even know who Cutie Ann is or why your story is so important. So let me carry it back to you, Cutie Ann, as a child, you know, your, your background, you know, how, how did you grow? Who did you grow with and how did it help to mold and shape you into who you are today? So I grew up on Spade Corner. If you know Spade Corner, no, it's a paved road. Mm-hmm. But when I was going, it was just a dirt track. Where I grew up, we call it Bertram Lane. So it's one lane extending and you have, it was split in two. So part went down to Waltham yes. and the other part went to Maxfield. I grew up with um, my brothers and sisters for the most part. My mother has six of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I was born, because my mother had me when she was 42. So I am a good Your mommy had you when she was what? 42. 42 years old. 42 so years Julian, old. So you're telling me that my ovaries still have a whole heap of chance. <laughs> a whole heap of chance. Because I'm a miracle baby and I'm a wow. good distance away from all my brothers and sisters. Like my brother before me is 10 years my senior. Wow. So you were the last? Were you the wash belly? Yes, I was the last. Oh, wow. I was okay. the wash belly. So I grew up surrounded um, by them, but I had out of my five, um, two brothers and three sisters, uh, one of my brothers was living overseas and one of my sisters was living away. So I lived with two sisters and a brother for the most part. And I had lots of nieces and nephews. Of course. I'm a a grand aunt. I have nephews older than me. Me. (laughs) Wow. and mommy was a single parent? Was it a single mommy parent household? Single parent, single parent household. So um, my mother was the sole provider because mm-hmm. by the time I was six, she was the common law wife for my brother and sister's father. Yes. Um, but he died when I was six. Oh, my. It was the year that he died that she got shot. Oh. Um, and... I grew up in Spade Corner. I can remember myself to be very lively. I was very lively, very bubbly. And and I can what, see it. I can feel it. Yeah. What we would do is um, we'd come from school because I went to Maxfield Park, which was walking distance from where I lived. Right. So we would walk 
um, to school and we would walk back with all my childhood friends. And at that time, it was not me too for you to like run up and down for the road in your panty. And <laughs> yeah, we could bring your friends. <laughs> so we, we run on the dirt track. Um, we play racing, um, stuck on pool, Chinese skip. Everything. You know that, you know, you know, youngsters don't know them game there, Julian. Like, I was speaking about um, Dandy Shandy the other day to some youngsters, and, and they were like, know. What? <laughs> I'm like, Half of your life gone if you don't know what Dandy Shandy is. I'm bent down, stocky. Listen, we we grew up in a yard, like, it was a board dwelling, but we had a big plum tree at the back. Mm-hmm. And I can remember it was the time of our lives for all of us to climb up in the plum tree. <laughs> and we just sat there for hours and talk and tell stories. Like, when we played Dandy Shandy from morning to night to next morning. So, um, I'd say six, seven year, year old cutie, and she was very lively um she was very outgoing um participated my peers would tell you that i was very competitive yes. i thought i had to win everything <laughs> um, and let me ask you a question like i mean and for these are for for listeners who may not be familiar with the maxfield park area as a six-year-old cutian did you were you aware that this was considered like a volatile area or an inner city or as a child you just not processing and you just enjoying your childhood so i was just enjoying my childhood for the most part you know because i mean um we would know that gunshot would um be firing but it was almost be like we're a picnic and i have nothing to do it with more than right when when it is that you hear that it's time to come off the road um you go you come off the road because you know what can happen if you stay on late but then when i was approaching seven mm-hmm. um it got more what I would say in your face, like, because yeah. where I live was the borderline. So my yard became the choppy. So I would be inside my yard now and I would have people passing through and back with um, weapons. So it was, it was more an in your face kind of thing. Were you um, scared when at I this point in time? Like, you know, you, as you said, you, you know, you hear the gunshots when you were young and it's like over there. So. But yeah. no, that is in your face. Did you understand the imminent danger that you, your siblings, and your mom could possibly be in? Yes, I understood that danger. And therefore, the plane, it became less. Um, and what I would do now, this was where I started to use school as an escape. I wanted to go real early, mm-hmm. and I wanted to come home at the latest time that I possibly could. Oh, my yeah because and this is you as a child this is me as a child i'm sure i wasn't eight as yet and what was I, mommy doing mommy mommy at the time was a domestic worker at the time she was a domestic worker at the time so um at six i can remember one of my mother's job being that she would wash for people right so um someone would call her and say okay they want this to wash on this date and she would wash um, for people so she would go in and she would wash and then she would come back because my mother is good very good with her hands overall yes. and, 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 really well. and you say for example even though you had two siblings living abroad how how and this is when they said that jamaican mothers jamaican mothers have a way of making things stretch they say black black mothers yeah. in general 
How well, on a domestic worker's salary was she able to make everything happen? Because you still have to go to school. You need lunch money. You know, how? How? So, so I had a sibling living abroad, meaning my brother was living abroad, but my sister was here, but she just mm-hmm. wasn't living with us. With you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had, uh, my brother was living abroad, sister not here. And I, my mother, I, I haven't to this day, you know, matter how many words that I've learned, um, been able to describe the kind of strength that she exhibits. I didn't know it when I was six. I was just going to school and I was coming home and I couldn't have fathomed that my mother took one of my sister's child, which was my nephew, and she was caring for him. She was caring for me. I still had my brother, who was 10 years my senior, going to high school. Still have my sister living with us. And my mother, she was running an entire household, and I didn't see the budget. And And I would have to think that she was making this money. But I knew I went... Every day I went to school. You were not lacking. You I were was not lacking. It, I had, it didn't matter what kind of shoes I wore. It didn't matter if I was wearing my grade one uniform in grade three. My mother was big on education. I went to school every day. There were days when school was winding down and it was the last, last day of school. And you have like only four kids coming. I was always one of them. Big ups to mommy. Now you mentioned earlier um, that your 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 mom got shot, and you would have been six or seven at the time. Describe describe that moment, and of course, what what happened to you? How did you process everything that was going on at such a young age? I will try to not get a little teary here. No need to apologize. This is a safe space, girl. If you are bad, me I go ball with you. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Go right ahead. I'd tell people that it is my least told stories. Mm-hmm. I never talk about my mother getting shot at most of my friends knew years later. Because, but the night have been etched in my mind for eternity. I remember she was washing and I swore up and down it was a Saturday. But as I tell you with my mother, she's a good washer and she, she washed all the time. So I was in my sister's room. Mm-hmm. My mother was outside. She had a friend beside her who more than likely was keeping her company because it was in the night around 7, 8 o'clock. And I knew where I lived gunshot fired. I understand enough to know that when shot was fired, um, you were supposed to jump off the bed. And I was inside and I heard a single shot but my first instinct was to come off the bed. Right. But before I could make it off the bed, I heard my mother and she'd say, Lisa, that's my sister's name. And she'd call for my sister. And I can remember hearing her call and I didn't see her. So I didn't come outside and I didn't see her. Mm-hmm. But I heard her. Mm-hmm. And... She was in agony and it's as if everything started to move at a fast pace. I was standing, my sister was moving, she was saying, um, mommy get shot, 
my mother, she was feeling for a leg. My sister was calling people. I don't know who carried my mother to the hospital. I don't know who came in and came out. I froze. All I saw was her going to the hospital and my sister going with her. And I was there and I was six and I didn't understand any of it. But I stood in the corner that I Mm -hmm. had watched everything happening till morning. And I waited for my mother to come home and I waited and I waited. And she was taking a while and part of me started to believe that because my sister wasn't coming to tell me anything. Nobody was coming to tell me anything. And I wasn't understanding. So I remember like my mother came and she was sitting and at the back of her foot, it was bandaged. So you could see where the shot had flown. They said that it flew through. But there was no exiting hole. And it was 14 years later that my mother took the shot out of her foot. What? A copper shot. And you know, copper shot is poisonous. So that is the next miracle of itself in and of itself. When my mother took the shot out of her foot, I was in sixth form. And my mother got shot when I was six. So you know it's around. 13 years later, they're about. So mommy comes home and she's bandaged or her foot where she got hit is there. And she was hugging me and she was saying that I'm all right, man. Like she didn't want me to worry Mm because I was the smallest one. So naturally I was the one who understood less. And she was saying that it's all right, man. All right. See me here, my day here, not going to do me. I just... Just a small hole. But she didn't know that I stood outside the door when she was talking to my sister. Uh-huh. And I heard her telling my sister to this day. I can remember her saying in a voice that still makes me tremble. Yeah. That the doctor said, if the shot had gone three inches further, I would, would have been crippled. And it was heavy then. But as I grew, it became even heavier. And when my mother got shot at six, I had a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. But one of those was just that we couldn't, we couldn't stay here. We couldn't live in this place that had possibly took the life, um, that I possibly could have taken the life of my mom. And is that one of the reasons why, for example, you were saying things like staying out and really just running up and down and just being free to be a child, these were no things you had to consider and say, if my mother can get shot while she's just simply minding right. her business, washing clothes, what could possibly happen to me or my friends or my, my siblings? Any, so that was it. Because no, I was living in danger. I was living in imminent fear. I wanted to leave and I can remember coming home and I'm telling my mother that I'm doing well at, well at school, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm doing well at school because I'm excelling and you can clearly see my report. I am performing well, but I am in imminent danger because the shot 
and uh, then my yard was a trappy area right. so we're coming in and out and Let i was witnessing oh, that mm-hmm. go ahead right people were coming in and out and i was witnessing that so as a child it became a heavy burden to bear I, I was no longer carefree. I had things to think about, mm-hmm. a possibility of things that can happen um, because I've seen it. And that would have dampered my spirit a little. All right, let me ask you this now, because you spoke about this Qdian who was lively and bubbly and, you know, you know, go school and excelling. I want to know, after that happened to your mom, as you said, it gets heavier. You started to think about big people things. This is really big people, adult business that you now have to start taking on. I want to know, in terms of your personality, did it change and how did it change? Were you still lively or did you withdraw? And secondly, with your grades, did you still manage to excel or did you experience um, that trauma where we've seen a lot of children grades, you know, drop simply because right. of dealing with trauma. Which one? How how did you process? So, I would say my personality at home changed. Mm. I wasn't so lively and bubbly anymore. I would still play, but it's almost as if I was living with the constant burden that I could lose my mother. Yes. So I wasn't so lively anymore. But at school, I, I thought I had a chance to be myself. Yes. So at school is where I would escape, and I loved it there. I loved school. I would have gone seven days of the week if, if you I could have. <laughs> and from, in regards to my grades, my mother would still tell me that she don't know how I did it because it wouldn't matter what was taking place in her life. And a huge amount of things took place. Mm-hmm. I was able to maintain. And I would tell her that in the classroom, when I was learning, that is where I escaped. Yes. So rather than my grades doing the opposite, dipping i was working harder i was staying the course yes and my grades were improving and i think it's because in the back of your mind you said you were telling your mommy yo we can't stay here we're half a leave i think i think even if you did not consciously you know um know this i think back in you know back in your head you were probably saying this would be my way out get education, get the opportunity, and that would be my way out. And so mommy recovers, and she's still working even though she's recovering, or did people rally around her? So people in the community did rally around her. So for one, she had stopped working, her church family, um, because uh, she used to go to Life Tabernacle, well, it's still her church, um, Life Tabernacle Church um, in our area. They rallied around her. And um, in an essence around me, because now that she couldn't work, um, it was her friends who came by who tried to say, here, um, hold this, because I know you have to send Munzel to school. Because Munzel is my pet name. (laughs) So (laughs) they said, I know you have to send Munzel to school and stuff like that. So people did rally around her. Mm -hmm. Um, So she had stopped working for a period of time but we moved away now yes so good. it got so bad that we could no longer stay in the yard Jesus. because the turf war that was taking place was at a all time high the debts so we couldn't stay in the yard anymore because it was a case where we were living in um 
in the yard while other persons were living in the yard. Right. So you knew it was only a matter of time, time yeah. before, well, before someone in the family might have been um, an innocent bystander. So you move. Do you right. move up the road? Do you move into a completely different community? And when you moved, what was that like? Because you're still a child. Well, what, how old were you when you guys are? Um, I was around seven. Oh, oh, so it was, it was shortly afterwards. Shortly after she got shot, we moved. And how did you, how did you acclimatize? All right, so I moved in, I moved to Marbley, mm-hmm. um, that's Kingston 20 off the boulevard. I lived at Denver Crescent and I lived with um, my uncle and aunt. My sister and brother moved um, with my mother and, of course, my nephew. Nice. We all moved. But the space there, it was small. So I remember living at Marbley and there was one room and that one room had to have my sister, my brother, my nephew, my mother, me. That room must um, have been one massive studio. <laughs> that, that room must have been the size of a studio. It was a small room, so we had to do a bed on the floor and an actual bed. Yes. So um, some people slept on the floor and the mattress on the floor and some slept on the bed because mm-hmm. it was just a back room. So... um. It wasn't a small, it wasn't a big dwelling, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we lived there. And you were still going right? to Maxfield? You were still going to I was to still Maxfield going Park? to Maxfield Park. So, you know, no, it was harder because I was coming from Boulevard. And for one, my nephew and I was, up, uh, was attending Maxfield Park at the time. To get up to go to school, my mom would wake us at like five. And we would have to bed and we would go out to the bus stop before it light up. Because if we didn't, we couldn't get any taxi. My mom um, would insist that it would have been better to be very early rather than very late. Love mommy. So we were going to school very, very early because we were leaving from Boulevard to come down to Maxfield Park and from Maxfield Park to home. Right. No. My nephew was um, in, I think, he would have been in around three grade at the time, and I was in two grade. Yeah. But a lot of the times, we couldn't get anything to go home. So what we had to do is we had to walk from Maxfield Park to Boulevard. You're kidding me. We walked. You would have been seven, and he would have been like, what, eight? Eight. Eight, nine? What? Right. And we would be walking from, and like there's a lot of times that um, mom would come out on the boulevard and she just wait on us because we couldn't get anything. It was already hard to get things to go to boulevard, but then we were in our uniforms and we would have been paying less than an adult. And if it is that we weren't going to get dropped home in probably like a chunk of a taxi, we would walk from wow. Maxi Park back to boulevard. We take through Bay Farm Road and we right. come out on Mullines and we walk home. And a lot of the days, mom would have been there on Boulevard just waiting, waiting for, for us. For you guys to get home. Jeez. Right. 
um, because she couldn't um, sleep without us not being home. And there were nights that we um, left school because Maxfield Park was a shift school. Yes. So sometimes we were on evening shift and we left school at five and we didn't reach home until like nine. Do, do, do you understand, do you understand the, the, the dangers, especially when we look now, um, right. is, 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 I mean, we don't like to talk about it. Some people would rather not believe that human trafficking exists in Jamaica, but we it hear does. about kids being abducted. They're so young. They're so small. They're vulnerable. Did you ever imagine that, you know, you know, you and your brother, you, you and your nephew could easily just be taken? We... We could have, but back then, I'm sure that we didn't imagine that, right? Um, because what what my nephew would do is that we had to, we were walking and he was very vigilant. O'Shea nice. was extremely vigilant and he would always walk with two sticks and a stone <laughs> bag. Because if, if, if anything happened and we were probably walking on a road and we were passing some dogs, he would tell me to run and he would be the one to stay back, right? Yeah. With his stick stone. So we, we would walk and we would talk the entire journey. And it became a thing for us. Like, one, to say that we're not getting taxi. Then we said, we make no sentry stand at the bus stop. For so you took matters into your own hands. Right, and we walked, and for most of the time that we lived at Marley, we were walking from school to home. That is crazy. So talk to me now about moving from um, primary school, because, you know, in our educational system, you move from prep and primary school, and then you move across into high school. So tell me about that process, and which was the school you decided you wanted to go to? All right, so I moved all right so i moved location i mm-hmm. moved back in the vicinity um so i would have been living um in 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 the Waltham vicinity but on a different road i would Got have lived at the top of Pretoria road when i was taking gsat i would always um do my best when it is that we would practice exam and so forth. Um, Maxfield Park had repeated my entire year group. So we had to stay a year back. Maxfield Park um, repeated your entire year group. Why? My entire year group, and it was to get us more prepared. I was going to um, sixth grade, and my mom was still a domestic um, helper, mm-hmm. right? And I had to go to school seven days of the week for um, GSAT preparation. And I remember like many times my mom didn't have it to send me to school, but I would have missed like two days and my sixth form teacher became alarmed. His name was um, Mr. Sheldon Trail. And to this day, we still communicate. And he would call my mom. She said, I, why why wasn't Cudian coming to Saturday and Sunday class? And she would want to say, you know, to be honest, sir, I, I try Sunday five days a week um, and some Saturdays and some Sundays, but I just can't afford it. Yeah, and consistently, that's going to drain her pockets. Right. And he would tell her to send me the same way, whether or not she could afford it. And 
I would go to school seven days a week um, for a long period of time when mm. I was in sixth grade. I had the choice to choose my own school and I wanted to match. Lucky you, because a lot of parents don't give their children the choice. You know, the, the parents choose which right. whether their children can can manage it mentally, academically. You're extremely lucky if you had the opportunity. I to had do that. yeah. I had the opportunity to choose my own schools and my best friend and I, Shanika, had rehearsal plan at the time that we were going to choose the same five schools with right. hopes that we go to school together. Yes. Um, so I wanted to go to Woolmers. That was mm-hmm. my first choice. Yes. Um, yeah, Woolmers Girls. girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I had St. Hughes there as my third choice. The Swans. My mother yeah. went to St. Hughes. Big up to all of the Swans. Right. Um, St. Hughes would have been the school that my best friend and I passed for. And we chose our school in the exact same order. So that was a joy for me. Nice. Um, I would have had a 92 average at GSAT. Um, I would have had a 98 average at mathematics. So mathematics was really my thing in primary school, you know, nice. though I wanted lawyer. And what did your mommy feel? Busy. How did your mommy feel? You know, 92%, your daughter now going to high yeah. school, she's going to St. Hughes, nice school. How, right. did mommy, how did mommy react? So when I, my results was being disclosed, it was a thing where all the parents came on a day and then it would have been announced. My sister came um, and she was the one that was listening. And I remember it's like she heard before me we were a pastor and I was coming from the back of the school at the six one block and I saw a woman coming up to me to the front and she's saying, Mumzele Pastor sent you was yes. so my mother wasn't there at the time. Gotcha. Um, and she started to tell me at that time my mom started to work at a cleaners a dry cleaning place mm-hmm. and it was my sister who had told my mom that you know she passed her school of her choice she passed the St. Hughes and I didn't see my mom's reaction but when she come home <laughs> and her thing her celebration meal was that she would buy me a bun and cheese on a box meal. yes <laughs> Yeah. So when she come home, she have her bun and teeth and her box milk and she'll say, My daughter, my dear, work on me here, say a pass. Oh, and yeah. I stop the work and I start jump up and down and she would tell me how grateful she was that I was taking my education serious because yes. I knew how important it was to her and how hard she tried. And I passed her sentence and my mom was elated. I was elated. And I would have attended St. Hughes for five years. Very nice. And how was high school for you? I mean, I know you said you had moved during Waltham. Um, was there any volatility at that time or were you able to like really enjoy going to school, getting your education? It was not as burdensome as when you were, um, att- you know, when you were living in, in the, in, on Bertram Lane. It, it, okay. So it became volatile again when you were living in Victoria Road and we had to move again. Wow. So we moved to Spanish Town when I was just going to St. Hughes in seventh grade and that was hard. And that was hard. Spanish Town is on one end to get to St. Hughes all the way on Morocco. 
I mean, road, yeah, and Linister, right. So I wasn't, I wasn't living just in Spanish town. I was living on a hill in Spanish town. So I lived at a place that they call Trilights for two years, right? So I would have to, again, I was coming to St. Hughes. I would have to wake up at least five o'clock to be out of my house by six because I had to make it. If six so six was me risking it, I comfortably I needed to be there at five forty-five. So, Kudian, um, hold on, hold on, hold on, because you're talking about you know you need to get your education. The education is going to be a way out. At any point in time, you're moving. You 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 know you're, you're always trying to 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 come to grips with whatever cultural changes there are in the different spaces you're going to, you get in the grade, you're, you're trying to push. Was there any moment in time when you were just like, listen, I'm tired. I can't bother. This, you know, being good and trying to stay on this very good road and good path, it's just too tiring. And right now, I just don't feel I can do it. Like, did you ever feel that way? I did. Spanish Town was my tired moment. I got up so early i came home so late i was in drama club debate club i was in key club interaction club. i was i was very active mm-hmm. i had to maintain my grades i had to um do all these club activities i was leaving out so early i was coming home so late and when i came home i was just plain tired and there were many points when I was just tired and I felt like I couldn't go anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And I remember a day at Spanish Town, I had reached my wit's end and I was like, my mom had never heard me saying I don't want to go to school. And this was the first time. Because I, I loved school. And she heard me say that day that I don't want to go today. I'm too tired to go. Mm. And it came as a surprise as a surprise to her because trying to maintain a family, my mom would have missed some of the initial sign of me just being plain tired and not yes. myself with just a lot to bear. And I was just 14, 15, 8th grade, ninth grade. And I told her, and I can remember the day when I told my mom I didn't want to go to school. And, you know, she started to cry and she's saying to me that, I don't know why you choose to not to want to go out to all of the days, but I was going to tell you not to go anyways because today is really the day where I had zero dollar and I couldn't send you. Yeah. I remember I live in Spanish towns. So I was living a good little distance away. So it's at least two bus fare to get to yeah. St. And back. Get back. And that don't include lunch money. Lunch. So she was saying that I I couldn't send it today. And today was out of all of the day was the day that you volunteered to say that you don't want to go. And that made her feel worse. And I remember the first time I wrote. So I, I was in drama club, but I never, I never wrote a piece. And this was my first time writing that day. 
And I would have written a poem called Mother, and I would have gone to JCDC, got a gold medal, and came first in Kinchon and St. Are you saying to me? And I, what is it? What was it that um that that moved you to write that poem about mother? You've been through so much. You've seen so much already. At the time, by the by the time you reach fourteen, what was it about that poem in that moment in time that you felt compelled to write about mummy? So I I as I told you, I was tired and I felt as if I wasn't getting a break. I wasn't getting ease, and she was crying, and I couldn't. I couldn't made her, I couldn't convince her that everything was going to be okay. And I usually could. And she was inconsolable. And I, I decided that I was going to write. And just the time when I was going to write, um, I heard the song, like the Da Vinci song um, that was singing to, she has a farm and all them seeds. He had a song called um, Mama, right? Yeah. I wrote I wrote after that. Um, I I could say like a one minute line for you. Cause I still please remember. do, please do. It, it is entrenched in my mind forever. So I wrote the poem because my mother was having a bad day and I remember the first time she heard it and she cried and it would go something along the lines of what a black woman strong woman away you get it from because mama's love will lead us through darkness all when my father gone which could have make her so heartless she rot and toil all alone through that rainy sunny and stormy zone and yet still mama do it all alone made a living and control a home six away without a dad she never give up up and down she tried then she pick up two grand picnic on her head at one point it was eight a wee in a one room for one bed when she used to cuss and go on we used to say she miserable but so much trouble could make anybody irritable she give us our last and starve out of our heart, that bundle of love was carved. You see, my mother was a woman who helped every Jack man. But you see, in her time of help, no one lend a hand. She's faithful and she's true. I mean, have to make it mama and all cause are you. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, listen. I'm sitting on there looking at you with goosebumps all over me. And you know what is even um, more profound? The fact that you were having a bad day. The fact that you were tired and that you felt as if, yo, I just can't get a break. I can't get at ease. I cannot do this. And yet still you would take that, 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 that energy and flip it yeah. around to help your mom find yeah. a better place. And, and it would even give you a gold medal. And it, I think it just shows you who you are as a person yeah. that you can put aside maybe how you feel right now and give off yourself in that time for your mommy. Right. What a beautiful poem. We need to get that Thank in a book. You. We need to get that <laughs> in a book, but I can certainly see why you would have won. Right. So even in writing that poem, where you are basically yeah. seeing how this, this strong black woman has taken you this far. Did it give you the spark now for say, all right, guess what? You did tired, but out a road again. 
Right. And this was our turning point because we moved back now to where um, we moved back to Bertram, but in a different yard, but on the same lane. So we were back in um, to Bertram. I was in ninth grade. Yeah, I was in ninth grade at St. Hughes. And I, I now had a new phone drive. Nice. Um, for one, I had responsibilities, but I was closer to home. Mm-hmm. Um, I was closer to the people that I grew up with. Um, and that became a good and a bad thing because some of them died um, when I came back. And I came back um, and some of my friends were gone. Um, people that I, I grew with have already started families. And, and we would, I was just in ninth grade um, and I was back home. Let and me I didn't ask quite you a, know how to navigate home. Let me ask you a question. So you, you come back and you reintegrate to where it all started. And as you're rightfully saying, you realize that some of your friends drop out or yeah. some of them who were your age, who would have been your sisters, were now mothers. Right. Did you at that point in time re- or feel as if you did not fit in? Or that you did not belong? And at any point in time, did you kind of say, I wonder if this is still going to be me? Or were you hard-pressed to show that you will not be a statistic? All right. So so I definitely felt as if I didn't fit in. And I was treated that way. Mm. So I came back. And for one, um, I was a sensuous girl. And I would be talking to my friends and I'd use big words and that would that would pose a problem because yes. I mean you come my like you better than remember a wee. I didn't know how to quite integrate myself to be who I was because I had grown. <laughs> I was a source out of um the system that we had grown up in. I went to St. Hughes. I had spread my wings. I um, became the president of the debate society, the president of drama club. Yeah, I was. Now that you come back, baby girl. Right. You want like you better than people. You're talking all hoity toity, and right. you're talking like like you're better than people. How did that make you feel, and how were you able to rise above? And the reason why I ask you this is because a lot of us who are even listening to this have been in situations where because we are shining, we are yeah. growing, we are spreading, we're. Ex- Expanding, we're receiving abundance in our territories. People prefer for us to play small, be stagnant, and be the people who we were years ago. Not a lot of people know how to overcome. So how were you able to overcome as you are a ninth grader at the time to still say, yo, I'm going to push, I'm still going to go far? Well, let me be honest with you. When I just just moved back, I wanted to be a part of the circle. Mm -hmm. Because this was my circle. These were my people. I grew up with them. We had run when it was a dirt track together. So I did everything to be integrated. But at some point, it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. Because when they were staying out at 9, 10, 11 in the night, just sitting, talking, idling, I had tasks piling up. I couldn't stay out and they wouldn't give me um, the courtesy of understanding why. It was just that I am lock up in my house, I'm going to like my better than them, I'm going to like to ask, I mean, one go to school and all of that. And I remember reading somewhere because I was debating, so I was always researching, reading, right? right? Um, 
that how people feel about you is a direct projection of themselves and has nothing to do with you. Hey, none of your business. Hey, talk the things. So when I read that, it was, I, I didn't need to fit in. I didn't need to convince these people that I came from here. They saw my mom got shot. They were there. Like, I didn't need to convince them that I knew what the struggle was and that I knew what the hardship was. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to beg for a place because in truth and in fact, I had to accept myself as I am. And as I was growing and I was blooming, and if I was growing outside of the circle, I was just going outside of the circle and I had to be mm-hmm. fine with that. If I was going, um, passing people that I grew up with, I had to be fine with that. And no, that didn't make me better than them. It made me a person who wanted better. And I accepted that. Girl, you're so pretty I knew well known. what I wanted. And at some point, I stopped feeling sorry for myself. Stop wanting, stop trying to fit in. At some point, I owned who I am. I was the bright girl, so what? I knew big words. I utilized them. And this was, was. Listen, listen. Goosebump, take on my body. Like, I don't think you understand how powerful it is when you can look at a group that you really grew up with that you want to be a part of and then just be like, yo, I have my goals. I have my targets. I have my ambition and my aspiration. And if this does not fit into your scene, it's okay. And it it needs to be okay for us to say that we are okay with not fitting in. Right. And I tell my friends all the time, you don't ever dim your light so that you can just be a next dull bulb in a group of dull bulbs. No, it is a case where if it is that your dreams and your aspirations were going in a different direction, you owe it to yourself to follow Mm -hmm. that path. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So I knew that and I became comfortable with that. And confident with that. Right. Throughout my tenure there, I was still known as the bright girl. And... More than likely, people would say the girl would go like, say she's better than, than than anybody at all. But it didn't bother me. I, it stopped bothering me because it wasn't a, a, a thing where I didn't try initially to bring them to, to say, we need to do this because this is where we're coming from and this can't be your final destination. Mm-hmm. But I tell you about the donkey and the water and you could yeah, only bring the donkey drink. And that was me. And I couldn't force. And I moved on. And I'm better for it. You and said no. Right. But then I was I was a little saddened because I would like to think that these were these would have been my friends for a lifetime and we would be treading the same path. But life didn't unfold that way. Mm-hmm. And and you also realize, right. cutie, and that, uh, and as you rightfully say, nobody can want something more than you, you know. Right. Nobody can want something more. Um, for you, you, and, and not only that, you kind of realize that in life, it is seasonal. There's yeah. some people who you know from long time who will be with you throughout life. And that is probably because they're trying to walk the same Amen. road, same values, right. same principles. But there's some people throughout your lifetime that I consider to be you know, you have a bus stop and you're on your bus. And yeah. quite frankly, there are people who when come off at certain bus stops, 
You know, and you have to tell them thanks for, for traveling with my bus. And there's some people who right. come all the way to your final destination and we have to be okay with saying, respect you, I wish you all the best. I don't have no ill will. I want to see you prosper. But right you now, you and I just yeah. don't seem to be going in the same path. So this is where we just have to say, big up, enough right. respect, all the best. Right. That was, that was exactly it. I was thankful for the journey. I am glad that we could have been on this bus together, mm -hmm. but this was where we part ways, and I was okay with that. Nice. So you are already ahead in terms of even just mentally. We knew you were resilient from way back when you were six, seven, but we see that you've been, you've been able to maintain your mental resilience, even though you had your moments of want to fit in, and that's natural and normal for any youngster who is growing up. But then... Um, when I read the article, I realized that, you know, 13 years later, you had your, your, your mommy got shot when you were six. But then 13 years later, you would have been how old now? I would have been 19. 19. So you are now in sixth yeah. form. You are now, would you? In upper six. You're in upper six. That, there's another yeah. incident that took place. Let me tell, tell me about it. So in upper six, um... I I was now at St. Andrew Technical High School, um, one of my favorite places to be. I've been there to, so I've actually I'm, been there as a keynote speaker, so big up St. Yeah. Andrew Technical. Yeah, yeah man. I, I love it there. So um, I would have been going to school and coming home, none the same. There would have been the war that I left when I was six, Mm -hmm. is the word that I went back to see happening. It was a recycling of itself. And it was as if it never stopped, right? So there were always a new set and a new set and a new set coming up by taking. So there was a continuous war taking place. I knew I came home mm -hmm. and mom would go and look for some of her girlfriends that she grew with in the country. Right. And that made me extremely happy because she was extremely happy. And I really loved hearing her connect with her friends to say, a long time in a year, you look young and fresh. And <laughs> I, I love that for her. So she would say that she was going to visit. And I was old enough. I was 19. I could take care of myself. Right. right? And not just that. You saw her over the years give up herself to so many people right. and the family. So it was nice to see her just do something for herself right. and pour into herself. Absolutely. Right. So I love, I love when she would go and she would take trips and she would go down to the country because she's from St. Anne yeah. and she would spend time with her friends. And I remember she left, um, she left in the morning and I was going to school and it was a Friday and she just said, Mommy, I got to come to you for the weekend. I soon come back. I know you can manage Sunday. You cook this and so forth. And for your nephew and whoever else there and you manage yourself. And she know me. I'd not come out of my house any at all yeah so once i was in i was in and i was going to stay in for the entire weekend unless i needed to go to the shop um and i was laying inside um she left the friday and it was the saturday night that there was a well yeah the saturday night there was a nine night that was keeping right out my um lane front i knew the person that died but I wasn't somebody to um, 
when they were having events and support in the community to go to, I always had a fear I knew what it could be like right so yes, I didn't I would try to pay my respects in other areas but I wouldn't attend these nine nights and so forth so of course I wasn't um going to go or anything like that mm-hmm. um that I'd cool off and so forth and I was laying in my house and I hear a single shot. Remember, my mom got a single shot. The first time, I remember hearing the shot whistling through the street. I had um, some trees, uh, ackee trees, at the back of my yard. And I hear it whistled. And all I felt was a gust of wind. Pass you. Blew over me and I heard the glass shattered and out of instinct. I knew I didn't even put my hands first. I just rolled off my bed and I was taking my niece with me. Because the room had a partition. So my nephew was on a bed by himself, but my niece and I were on the same bed. bed. Same bed. So I rolled off and I dragged my niece with me. And we were underground. And I stood there and I remember I called some of my friends and I said a shot just flew into my house. Mm-hmm. And how was your nephew? And at that time I was crawling on the floor to go and check on my nephew. I was panicking. I I I troubled with asthma, so I was breathing really hard and I had a hard time calming down. Um so I was going around to my nephew and to see what was happening. But by that time, I could clearly hear that he was on the floor too. So it was me, my niece, and my neighbor in the entire house. And my niece is five years smaller than me. So um, at that time, she would have been around... 14. 14, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and my nephew would have been around 20. So we were the only ones inside the house. And I remember we laid on the floor until morning. And when we got up, the police was yellow taping the end of the lane and the top of the lane but the shot flew in our yard our house but no one came inside to look and when my sister came i think she's the first one that came because she lived close by and she was saying look where the shot flew and it was in the morning that we see that the shot had actually caught my nephew on his foot and so all it grazed of it, him, it grazed him. Grazed him, right. And all of it was very traumatic, but not as traumatic as when I looked where the shot left my house. It would have been right where my mother would have been laying her head had she been home. You're kidding me, Kudian. And I knew I stayed there for a while and I was hyperventilating and I... I just couldn't, I looked at the shot. I looked where it entered my nephew's section. It would have grazed him. It would have flew over me and my knees. It would have went straight through the dresser glass. And it passed right where my mother's head would have been had she been Mm. sleeping home that Mm. night. And I never got over that. I didn't, I moved the dresser glass. Because I wanted to see the hole. And 
I ensure that I didn't put anything there that could block the hole. And this was a reminder. And this was my hole. This was a reminder. I went back home the day that my article was published in the Star to look back at it. Because I would have lived in that board dwelling my entire tenure at the Faculty of Law. Hmm. And what did that hole remind you of? What was the significance and the symbol that 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 gunshot hole that was left in your wall behind your dresser, what was the significance for you? It took me back to when I was six and I said that I had to get out and I was six and that hold weight, but now I was 19 and that hole reminded me that I couldn't stay here because I felt as though if I had stayed, it would have sucked me in mm-hmm. and I couldn't matriculate or be what I wanted. And I use that hold as a reminder that I can't do it. You can't stop. And to that extent that I had to do it. I had to do it for my mother. I don't even I, I don't even know. Like I'm 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 looking at you, I'm seeing you, you know, I'm seeing you get emotional. Um I see you. It's like I see you going right back and thinking about those days. And right. I'm literally trying to figure out how is it that you you dig deep, but I can understand how some for some people trauma can break them and for some people trauma build them. And you seem to have been somebody who looked at the trauma and said, you know what, you're not going to suck me in. You're not going to get the best of me. I'm going and- to build. I did have the opposite end of that was that I never slept sound again. I I couldn't sleep if someone had just walked by. I was a sound sleeper. Anything could have happened and I would sleep through it. The shot flew and I never slept sound again. And how about now? Do you still um, have the effects or feel the effects of just you know, not sleeping, right. sleeping on eggshells. That's probably what it, it feels like. Well, I, I wouldn't say it is as bad, but it's, it has not completely disappeared. I have not gone back to being a sound sleeper. Mm-hmm. And what happens to your personality? Because again, I know your personality is, has got to be changing somehow. Right. Did, your, did you have another switch, another, oh my God, here we go again, was there well, a switch? When, when that happened, I went to school and for a while it's, it, it sat with me mm-hmm. and I became obsessive with planning my life. Hmm. I remember my friend had to say, slow down. You can't plan every single detail, but I would plan my life. I had books that I just wrote it down in. If don't I plan every grade that I plan to get for Cape? How is it that I need to get into the faculty of law by yes. any means necessary? I was going to get in, I was going to move to the faculty, I was going to be an attorney at law, and my first order of business would have been to move my mother. Move, move, get out. And I became incessant with planning my life. And I and I would say that is like the um, beginning of where my anxiety would come from because I feel like I had to have everything planned. Yeah. Because I was living, I needed to work according to plan because 
my life depend on it. And more importantly to me, my mother's life depended on this. And do you think that because you became, you know, obsessive about planning and it was an incessant thing with you and anxiety is now building, do you think you missed out on what some students when they, you know, get to college or they get to university? Yeah, you're working hard, but for a lot of students, it's social, it's self-discovery, it's exploring, it's making mistakes and, you know, getting over it and not taking life so seriously. Do you think you missed out on a lot of those things because as far as you're concerned, you had a little bit of time and you had to make every second count? I definitely missed out on um, the social aspect of university. Being social, going to parties, having to just worry about exams, that was never me. Mm -hmm. I felt all the time as though I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders mm -hmm. because not only was I going to university, I was funding myself through university. That's because by the time it. we moved back, my mom was unemployed completely. I was starting university with an unemployed mom, no father, no help. How much and how and much so, is the and how much is the law for, for those of us who don't know? Like I didn't attend UA, but I've heard yeah. of the school fees. So let's talk about it. Mommy not employed. You don't have daddy. You are now, you know, getting one step closer to your goal. You get in. You get accepted, right. which already shows you that, yo, you're a woman with a plan. School fee. Right. Talk to me about that. So I got my two distinctions in, in, in Cape and I was ready. And I had spoken to a number of people who tell me, play that straight. La, enough of poor people picnic. Hey, hey, hey. Try journalism, try something else there. Yeah. Can talk, you like to talk, try politics. But learn for poor people picnic, when I looked at the school fee, it was $10,000 US. When I tell my mother that, <laughs> you know, the school fee is 1.2 million. My mother said, I never even hear them breathe that money day in my life. One. And I told her, like, I said, Mom, I was going to go either way, you know. Because the school fee was $1.2 million. In your head, do you think it was doable? Or at that point, you were like, yo, maybe maybe I need to take it down three million notches. It was really like, I'm going to, and me, you know, I, as I tell you, when I, when I plan, I plan. And I only applied for one thing at university. No backup plan. When they, when they asked what was your second choice, I put law as well. <sighs> I applied for no other degree, but a law degree. And it, I, it was coming close to the time now. And I was saying that, all right, I was doing a lot of things because I said, all right, I'm a plan a fish fry, plan a cake sale. What I was going to do, I was going to work because um, from sitting in the library, I'd start, I was known as the library girl. I was always in the library. Yeah. And from in the library, uh, one of the branch managers from Sajid Course saw me reading and he would offer me a job to work that summer. Oh, look at opportunity, man. So I went there to work and I would say, all right, I'm going to work at Sajid Core. I was just going into the working world with my two skirts and I borrowed two blows from my sister and I would wash them and wear them whenever. I would, today, tomorrow wednesday the same week and when i get the money um for working because at that time i was making around ten thousand dollars a week you're rich 
and <laughs> I would have walked off the distance. So it was in New Kingston. So I walked from Africa to New Kingston um, and from New Kingston back. And then I took one taxi home and that's from Africa to Maxfield. So I'd save my money now. And I said, all right, I'm going to keep a, I'm going to keep a fish fry. When I was keeping the fish fry, it was just one day I was sitting at work and I said, how am I going to even afford to buy two jeans pants to go to the faculty? And I don't have any money, nobody not gonna send me. So I save up my money, I save up my money. Every day at such a core, I just want to know so my mother cook all if I look at mackerel and rice and yes. carrying it. It didn't matter that it was a corporate place, I was a corporate space. I sat silent, <laughs> eat what I had, and I saved. And I got a look at one of those seat books. And I wrote down the details of my fish fry. Mind you, I've never kept anything. Don't know anything about keeping fish fry. You need to I bring in some money. I'm going to keep a fish fry. And I, and I say, all right, I'm looking 100 people to support me. And I only had a book. I tell you, no ticket, no nothing. I had my book. And I started to at five floors. And I start from the bottom floor. And I check every office, every janitor, and they they loved me there uh, because they always saw how vibrant and how bright I was and so forth. So do you I, do you realize? Don't mean to cut you. Do you realize? And I think it's important for persons who are listening, especially the youngsters, because you are a youngster listening. It, it's right. not always about how bright you are or how well you do something, but the fact that people have to like you. There's, right. there's soft skills that you must develop in this right. lifetime because if people don't like you, they're, they're less likely to support you. They're right. less likely to buy into whatever you have to do. So it is important for you to try to be bright and technical in whatever area you want to pursue, but you have to work on your people's skills right. and building relationships with people. Continue. Right. And everybody, like, they love me. They will tell me how funny I am. And that was just me being my authentic self because I'm really hilarious. <laughs> my friends can tell you. So um, I would have gotten a lot of support from Sajikor. Sajikor was my main area of support. And then I would link um, some people that I knew from Stats. Yes. So I have a tribe of friends, you know. When I tell you that they are my tribe, sink or swim, right or die, my friends, and I would say, okay, here what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you five ticket, you five ticket, you five ticket. Your responsibility is sell these five, you sell these five, you sell these five, and then in return, I could give you a free food. Yeah. Did you even know how the food was going to go or how the delivery was going to go? the food i don't know where i was going to buy the food i don't know how much money for the food and i was planning fish fry i was taking others when you look at my seek book hundred and add others names written down all the branch manager the administrative everyone was supporting me so i said okay no i got my mother into the planning yeah. And I tell her that I only have fish on the menu because it's my first time. It's my first time starting out. So I only go on the fish. And then if my mother would tell me that, you know, people in fish are them like parrots or snapper. Yeah. Or, you know, you buy grunt for the people who are not really particular. And then I would have brown stew fish, fried fish, and um, brown stew fish, fried fish, and steamed fish. But and I would do some 
callaloo with pop chow and plantings and festival and bami. So you think sell off? Listen, the day that was my fish fry, I had boxes going out. Like it was like I didn't know how much people like love and support me. Yes. Until I kept a fish fry. And you got that support. So you made millions. Not only, <laughs> not only Sajikoi, but people from all walks supported me. Yes. And I kept this fish fry. For one, I owed some balance at start with my school fee. Mm. So I cleared that off. Nice. Of course, it was my mother who cooked. And she had one of her, her, her male friends that lived in the community that was an expertise at working at these things. Yes. To help. So it was two of them. And then I hired my two best friends, Davia and Shanika, to come and help the day. And we were the one who shared and packaged. And we share and we package and we send out and we, and you know, I had to get um, a taxi to drop here, drop there like Sajikor and yes. pay. And this, I have, I had everything budget down to a T. And by the time I finished with the fish fry and I paid who was supposed to get paid, I would have hired my mom so I would pay her. Look at you honoring, look at you honoring the people. Right. Paid my best friends, my brothers would have come and help me tie up chapalin, paid them for the service, pay out everybody who come and help me, clear my balance at stats. Yeah. Um, have I have a little change in my pocket? So I say, how oh, I'm going to utilize this? No, cause I can't just spend it off. So for one, I buy some jeans pants. I bought around three jeans pants and some shirt. Yeah. And okay, jeans pants, shirt, and I buy a flat shoes that I could wear every day. And I said, school was about to start. <laughs> at that time, I would have paid everybody, paid off my school fee and start, bought some jeans pants and so I would have at least 30000 So you start off um, okay. So you go, you're comfortable. Yeah. So I I had that 30000 But then something came up with my mom mm-hmm. and I had to take some money out of it to give her. Yes. And now I was looking at around 17. Woo! I started and I two weeks has passed. I said, Mom, I can't go because if I go, I don't pay my miscellaneous. I don't I don't get an ID. I don't get used to the I don't get to use the library. I don't get to register for my course. To buy this, I had paid zero dollars. Zero dollars, I had 17,000. Don't never know where to start. Remember that I said, okay, I was going to take student loan. I had no guarantor. My mother, not working. Wasn't it's almost like everywhere you turn, it's like ugh, a rock and a place. And at one point I'm saying, you know, this is destiny revealing itself. I should try to do something different. I wonder if I can get a transfer, I can get a switch. And after two weeks, my mother just wake me one morning and she just said, Mumsel, come go over to school. She said, you know, the friends we say a two persons from school get into law from stats, myself and another guy. Yeah. You know, nobody there. This was a brand new environment. She said, well, you're smart. You go to school and you talk to people, find out how the system works. Right. And if- that you could start anything. And I remember the morning she'd get up and she'd pray and she said, just just start. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You better than laying down here and saying you don't know where you're going to find it, you don't know what to do, just right. start. And wallowing in, in, in potential self-pity. Right. And the, the first day I went to school, I tell people all the time when I stepped through that door at faculty, I had paid zero dollars. Everybody there was prim and proper and they were in the clusters, already familiar with each other, already familiar with the lectures. They had a two-week head start. So what I did was to research what was year one course. And you don't get a schedule. Like if you don't pay money, you don't get a schedule. So you don't even know which class, which lecture, you know. I was asking, is this criminal lecture, like criminal one? And I know that, okay, that's a course that I'm supposed to do if I'm in year one. And I'd go in the class and sit at the back. And I'd sit at the back and I'd have my notebook out and my pen. I couldn't go to any tutorials because I hadn't paid any money. When my I came home one day and my mom said, you know that somebody called me and they said that right, they were willing to make you up to pay the miscellaneous fee. I remember I had my portion of 17, right? Mm-hmm. So they made me up and I paid the miscellaneous. Mm-hmm. And when I paid the miscellaneous, I was going to school now and I had um, a timetable to work with. But then exam was coming. I don't pay any money. I can't do any exam. I would have wasted the semester. And I was going to school every day and I was attending my tutorials and I don't pay any money other than for the miscellaneous fee. Not and nobody school. knew this. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody caught nobody on. Knew. And I was part. You were handing in work? Hold on, hold on, Qdian. Were you you were doing the were I you doing homework work. and doing classwork and handing in? I was handing in work. It was to my luck that law is a 100% exam base yes. for most courses. So um, these were, weren't graded, but I was participating. And one day I was sitting in a class with a tutor and she was just saying that, you know, um, no one here is going to feel sorry for you. If you don't pay the fee, you won't sit the exam. And I walked out so defeated and I was ready to give up and I said, all right. How did she find out? How did she find, how did she get? Well, she was giving general tips Um, um, in regards to exam. Yes. Just that you need to be registered because I was not yet a registered student. And she was saying, you need to be registered. Um, Do you attend in the class and the tutorial? If it is that you're not registered, you would be barred from sitting exam. And no one is going to pity you. We've seen it year and year and year. And kids have been crying. They can't sit exam. That's just how it goes. So and just deal with it. It was on skirt. And when I left out, I was, I was defeated. And I work better at night, so I am really an, an owl. I function at the na- in night time. I'm very functional. I study at night. I do everything at night, right? And I was up until 12, and I say, you know, I'm going to email the dean. You are going to go straight to the top. I, I wasn't going to even go to a lecturer. I was going to email the dean of discipline. And I don't know if he remembered me because I remember one day I was, we were doing, um, we were supposed to visit the different faculties when we were in um, upper six just to get a feel of um, university. And I went over law and it was glorious. And he was telling us that he had a brother who attended St. Andrew Technical. 
Yes. And I remember, and I emailed him, and I started off on that premise to say, I remember you telling us that you had a brother that attended St. Andrew Technical High School. Tell him that I'm from St. Andrew Technical High School. I told him where I was from. I lived uh, off Pittsburgh Road in between Maxfield and Waltham. And very volatile situation. Mm-hmm. I told him I was fighting to get out and I, ha- I felt as though I had no way out. And any help at all, I would appreciate. At this time, I was still working simultaneously trying to get a guarantor. Yes. Because if I could get the 800, I could be registered for this semester. Right. And I wrote to him, and I didn't get a response, but I was still going to school. By this time, I had a real possibility of a guarantor. So I love your will. I love your persistence, and I love your will. You're just like, yo... I'm still going to prepare. And I think that's the difference for some people. They kind of stop and then hope that things will just fall into their laps. And here it is. You are saying, yo, I'm still going to prepare for my season. So if my opportunity comes, I will then pull the lever and I will be successful. Just like that. I tell myself, you know, that once it is that you're conspiring for greatness, the universe is conspiring with you. Hmm. And that's what I, therefore I never stop preparing. Either when, Today, I had paid zero dollar, and tomorrow was the exam. I was going to prepare for the exam tonight. Because I believe that once it is that you were on a trajectory for greatness, the universe was going to conspire with you. And I was just walking on, on campus one day, and the dean said, you are the girl. Like, he went and looked up my ID picture, and he said, it's you who emailed me, right? You sent me a story some weeks ago. And I said, yes. And he wrote a name and he said, go here and tell them that I sent you. Mm -hmm. And that if there were any open scholarship, anything at all, they should give it to you and you should have. And by that time, I would have had a guarantor and I went. And I would have spoken to the person who the dean um, sent me to, and they would have moved the hell and I water. Remember, this person don't know me from anywhere. They would, I would have just tell him that Dr. Jack to send me. And it's likely that he would have sent a, a lot of other students um, because that's the person that dealt with the scholarship. And they were asking me, like, why you wanted to do law? And I was saying that, you see, this is the only way out for me. Mm-hmm. I have a big, beautiful, brilliant brain. And education was my key. Mind you, it's not for everybody, not education, but book itself. And some people yeah. might be better with their hands. And some people might be um, artists or whatever. But, I but knew, you knew within yourself that this was your I way. was a scholar. This was what I loved. I loved learning. I loved school. I loved everything about getting an education. It gave me a thrill. And I was telling, I was telling her that just like water, I had to make a way. Because if I didn't make a way with this door, you don't know what was going to happen. That was it. No backup plan. So you get the grant. I you got the grant. grant. And okay, does this grant, did this grant cover you for lawyers, what, four years? Because I'm not. It, it's three years to get a degree. So this grant was 400000 And you would get it every year if you maintain a certain GPA and you, um, a certain uh, um, void of disciplinary actions. And I did get it every year. 
look at you right and when when i i did so well in year one that year two rolled around and i was writing for scholarship left and right yes the scholarship that i didn't apply for didn't exist <laughs> i applied i applied. <laughs> but Kudian, let me ask you a question um and not, it's not maybe not even a question but the fact that even though you were putting in the work i think what i'm getting from you or one of my biggest takeaways from you is that you never stopped trying so imagine yeah. as you rightfully say even though you were getting the grades you were making sure you attend you were also making sure that you knew every grant every scholarship anything every... that help make your journey get a little bit closer to your goal right and by by year two i now see that i need to work and go to school because i though the scholarships were doing the school fee i had to send myself to school daily and when i was going to start i had a teacher by the name of katie and braham and she and i got along very well um because i i i did two subjects i saw her every day and i was brilliant at school and other from that I was genuinely kind and helpful. Yes. Um, and we got along very well. And uh, she, it was through her, she brought me to Georgia Crawford Seminar. <laughs> One, um, I think it's in Lower Six. Mm -hmm. And Miss Crawford would have remembered me from Lower Six and asked me to do a video clipping, just um, speaking about the seminar and what I learned from the seminar and the seminar was brilliant. I remember hearing Miss Crawford speak for the first time. Yes. It was heavenly. She was so good. And she just asked me out of everyone who came to do a video. So she knew me. Yes. At least knew I was, knew who I was. And she offered me a chance to start teaching at 3UA in my second year. So I was leaving straight out of class. I was telling my best friend, run to PUA before me, call it the register, the this, the that. And I, as I left class, I run over to PUA and I taught sometimes four hours on a straight, sometimes so, two. So, so what you're saying is from the moment you basically come out of the womb, you've just been going, 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 going. And when it was listen, when it wasn't Miss Crawford, like I, when I wasn't teaching, I was doing any little thing that I could have done. At one point, I was going to university. I was working at a call center. I did call center from evening to night, and university from morning to evening. I was beat, but I wasn't stopping because I was going to see myself through. And I remember the first day starting university, I wrote something on my status that the end would justify the means. And mm -hmm. I never changed that until I graduated. And, and, I you're, and you're still looking at that bullet hole in your wall to say, yo, don't ever forget. And it is all the motivation I needed when, when, when I couldn't pull through, when it seemed as if no more scholarship was coming one more come and i was thankful i was thanking god i i i don't know where they were coming from the floodgates were open and i'm telling you it was raining at one point my blessings it was raining and then it started to 
poor. Yes. And, and you started to receive. Let me ask you this. You said you were doing odd jobs. You said you were doing any little thing, any little opportunity anything. to make a little money, of course, to support mom because mom is still at home. Any, any little thing of all the little odd jobs, all of the roles and responsibilities you took upon yourself to help you through school, which was the most challenging and which was the one that you had the biggest lesson you learned the most from? Which jobs? I was working at a call center. Uh, two jobs. Well, the call center one I was doing um, when I was going to university. And it really taught me that I didn't want to come and work at a place where I wasn't valued. Hmm. I was there and the environment was so harsh and it was so competitive. And it was a gross disregard for people's safety, for people's sleep. Mm. And I tell myself, I have to put you in a position where you are valued, where you, where you are in a better environment, where you know that you're deserving of better than this. Mm-hmm. And though I was going and some days I was really depleted, I would say to myself that I am doing it now so that later I don't have to do it. Kai, it is just temporary, my darling. It is a stepping stone. It is temporary. And those ta- that taught me listening, perseverance in motivation and days when I didn't want to go, I went hmm. because I said I'd rather do the hard work now. Because kid. if you do it now, that is the only way you're going to be a champion later. You didn't get to work later and then become a champion. Facts. You had to work, no. And I stayed the course. Facts. But you said that was two, you said two jobs. Yeah. Is and when, when I was in sixth form, I had a job of collecting dog food. Collecting dog food? I was going to school, but lunch money was very minimal. Yes. And I could collect dog food for one of my teachers. Just like wait until my classmates and so I finish eating at the lunch and whatever the case may be. I'd have my scandal bag and I would put um, the bones and the whatever. Scraps. My gloves and I would collect dog, dog food and then I would give um, to my teacher and I would get a payment. No. Uh, my classmates like ridiculed me. Kyle. I was just about to say, but 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 did your friends and your other classmates find out? And how did they you- did? And they would ridicule me to say like, "You really collect dog food, girl?" And whatever the case may be. But I know that growing up, there was one thing that I learned early out that no one could have used my circumstances to shame me. Huh. I had accepted my circumstances long before you even know of my circumstances. Cooler man. Cooler man. So there was no one who could tell me that I say you're poor or I say you're navy. There was no one who could use my circumstances to against you. me because I knew who I, I was. Like from I heard that from Damon Crawford, I knew who I was and I knew what that meant. I didn't have it and I was going to get it. And it was by any means necessary once it was ethically. And it was an honest bread. I was just asking you, when you finish with the box, you can put them there. And, and I will collect my thing. And dispose of them. And again, that was also temporary. It, yeah. was, it was temporary. And it was a means to an end in a certain period of time. Right. And that job gave me a second skill. 
It wasn't so easy for people to pierce me, to remind me of anything because I, I grew a skin over my actual skin and I was firm and sturdy enough to know what my circumstances was. What is it that I was doing? Why I was doing it? And that's all the reason I needed. I'd never need external validation from anyone. I already knew what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I worked with that. Listen, you know, normally after uh, I, I have an interview with a, a podcast interviewee, I have to go through the, 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 the tape, the recording, and I choose a snippet that is the teaser. And I'm listening to you speak and I'm going in the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs> which, which two minute snippet am I going to take? Because you're talking facts. And what you are speaking about is something that a lot of people grapple with. Where yeah. they have their dreams and they have their aspirations, but they can't remove ego. They can't yeah. remove, you know, how people make them feel. And a lot of the times they allow that feeling to keep them back. And right. what I have to remind them is that a lot of the times the people who they're trying to impress, Qdian, are not the people who will even turn around and help you. These people are not paying the, your bills. They're not, they're not your guarantor. They're not helping you through school. And yeah. therefore you have to do what you have to do. As, as you say, as long as it is an honest bread, there is no shame in getting one step closer and doing what you have to do right. so that your dreams become a reality. So you make third year. Right. So you're now in third year. Your final, this is your final year? Final year. Home stretch? Home stretch. Talk and to I, I, it was my home stretch and I had $1.2 million in scholarship lineup. Jesus! I, what do you mean? It was, this was my first fully funded scholarship year. Every cent was paid off by a scholarship down to my last days leaving the university. And I was here, like, when I was in third year, it was so surreal for me. I had been through so much already. And I was so close. I was so close. I was dreaming of the finish line. Mm -hmm. And I was still working, because at this point, I was still teaching at pre-university, still doing utility jobs here and there. But what I had known, because of ever since I tell you, by any means necessary, yes. right? So I was now editing um, work for people, interchanging words, editing. For you. No, but you are the Jill of all trades, master of all. Right. Because I, I, I was very good at writing and I have now mastered my skill. Um, having moved through law school. So now I could look at documents for people, edit it for them, yes. better shape to get a better grade. I was doing that for SBAs, IAs, university students, and all clientele base. I even moved overseas. I was writing for people overseas, editing the documents, like filling in words. You know, say, if we're looking up the word hustler in the dictionary, you know, says your face, Cutie and king, where we're going to sit beside the word hustler. So let me right. ask you a question. You, I don't know how it works with you, you know, if you get like your grades or you get a letter. I, I don't know how it is yeah. that you know, one, you've been successful, you will be graduating. Um, I don't know because of COVID if you guys even had the opportunity to, um, if you guys had the opportunity to walk across a stage, I'm not too certain if you had that opportunity. Okay. But how, how did mommy react when one, she found out that you're graduating, her big, right. big daughter, yeah, mm -hmm. 
is going to be successful in becoming a lawyer. Um, how did you even announce it to her? Okay, so I remember the night I finished my last exam and I'd say, Mom, today is my last exam and she goes to her way for cook stew peas. I thought she was going to give you your bun and cheese and your milk, your, your box milk. <laughs> no, I like stew peas. And that day I finished. Mm-hmm. Um, my exam, I went down to waterfront with a friend and I just chill and I said that was it. That was the last exam and it was an emotional time for me. And I just laid and listened to the ocean. And more than anything, I was grateful and I was like, mom was so close. I was whispering and I was telling myself that we're so close. And then I remember the graduation time came around because it was COVID, we would do a white top and a jeans pants um, mm-hmm. with our gowns to take our picture. Right. I was allowed to take pictures in the gowns, right? So I was then, um, my my tribe, as I tell you, my friends would come over. I was so emotional the day because I really wanted a graduation, graduation. Yes. We're in a pandemic and I'm thankful nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But... I had no, um, my friends came over and they got me ready. They got me ready and they said, all right, we're going to take a picture. They styled my hair. Yes. Um, my best. The graduation picture was beautiful, by the way. That's the picture that I saw on Instagram. And that, that was my best friend styling my hair and she doing my makeup. My best friend has been doing my makeup from um, primary, um, well, from high school graduation, <laughs> sixth form graduation. Big uh, ups to the bestie. University graduation. Shanika has been doing my face. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I, uh, they came over and they got me ready. And Tatiana, Dominic, uh, Tia, and Shanika, Davia, everyone was here and they were getting me ready and they were motivating me. I was going to do it. And today is a big day. I have to be excited and so forth. And I just, I said, I'm not feeling it and the rain is falling and I don't, I go reschedule. And Shanika said, you know what? I'm going to get your mother on the phone. <laughs> get mommy. She called my mother and all she said was, you try to get up in a Jesus name and go take that picture. Listen, <laughs> I 360'd. My friends can tell you, I had a friend, my, my other best friend, David, was at the school and she was saying that um, she soon come and she was telling them that I soon come because it was time. Because I, I really just didn't want to do the picture that day. And they, she held them off for me and I run going and I took my graduation picture. And then the picture came at the front of a newspaper and I'm like, Surreal. I have to understand that God is intentional hmm. and that the universe is continuously, continuously conspiring in my favor. And what does that hole in the wall now mean for you? Because you've gotten to this, you've gotten right. this far. Does the hole in the wall, the gunshot hole in the wall still hold the same significance? Um, or have you chosen to look at it with a different perspective going into your next chapter? Talk to me about that. So I went back, um, I went back and I wrote, we did it over the gunshot hole at the time when um, my my article came out and it was uh, getting a lot of attention. I went home, 
I just laid there. And my mother said, people call her from all walks of life and she can't talk Miss Crawford enough to tell my story. And I didn't even tell Miss Crawford my story. I when, I when I took my pictures in the phone, I had posted it on my WhatsApp. As I tell you, I'm not very big on social media. So I posted it on my WhatsApp and she read the status. And she said, I don't usually read status, but I read everything and sent me a graduation picture when you get it. And that's all I knew. And she was, no, you get your graduation picture, you get it. And, and as I got it, I said, and she said, finally. And hours later, my phone went off the hook. And it's for the power of social media. It's the power of social media, but it's also the power of your story. And what? I'm telling you, I went home and I wrote, we did it over the whole. And now I, I, I don't look at it with such despair and sadness. It's almost like that whole group muscles and it's strong and it's resolute and it reminded me that I was unstoppable and there was nothing that I couldn't do. And all I had to do was believe. And I look at that all and I'm thinking, we came a pretty long way, all those overnight my last two questions to you where next you are a woman with a plan you are a woman with a plan right. so i know for a fact right. cutie and is sitting down here saying all right the race not done no you know it's not done right. it's just a start right. where right. next do you see yourself or where next are we going to see you because we know anything you put down on your paper it is going to come to pass where will we see you next right so next you would see me at Supreme Court. Um, that is when I'd be wearing the gown and I would have officially sworn in as Cudian King attorney at law. And you just start an Instagram page, right? So I go upload a picture on your Instagram page, correct? Right. You, the, 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 the last question that I always ask my guests is, you know, what does redirection mean? for you. You had many moments because even though you are very special, your story is very unique because what you said you wanted to become, you became. But right. we cannot overlook the fact that you had a lot of moments in your life that were redirections. They could have redirected you in a different way. They were helping to shape and mold you. Maybe different perspectives were changed, but you, you still were able to carry on. For you, what does redirection mean? to you or for you? I tell, I tell myself all the time and I tell people all the time, you are literally the author of your story. You're the main character. And in any event you decide to play the co-star, that is where you lose. Hmm. And I've had curveballs thrown at me. I've had been through mammoth situations, difficult times. And redirection means to me that you believe. I would tell people all the time that no one will remember your story unless you win. So win. Hmm. And win is by any means necessary. Win is knowing that it is possible. Win is knowing that you are writing your story and everybody else's pen is a second pen. Hmm. So whatever redirection that takes place in your life, you have to, you have to know that at the 
end of the tunnel and you might not know how long that tunnel is mm-hmm. that a light is there you might not know how dim that light is but you see inward belief it is what will break many grounds hmm. when you believe that you can cuz in no matter who believe in you know your mother will believe in you your sister your brother everybody would believe in you but it not come for not one till you start believing when you believe there is nothing that can throw you off your path you hmm. might be redirected but you will never come off your path Hmm. So I tell people all the time, all you need to do is to believe that you can and you will. Kyrian, hmm. thank you so very much. Um, I hope you write that book. Please write that book. I will. Please write your book. I and, will. And again, it goes back to the power of a story. A lot of the times, because we're in it, we don't always understand how powerful our stories can be, how they can motivate and inspire. And it took Miss Crawford speaking about you and writing a tribute on, on her Instagram about you that allowed other people to be invited and to understand that no matter what they're going through, they're not defined by their circumstances. Kudian, fantastic story. Very, very powerful. I don't know what kind of law you're going into. I don't know what you're going to specialize in, but I guarantee you anyone or any organization or company that you decide to have as a client, they can sleep very well at night knowing that the person who is representing them is going to give it her all. And I cannot wait to see where your path leads you. So if there are any other persons who might be listening who want to follow up with you or who want to contact you, where do we find you now that we know, say, a big, big Instagram page? <laughs> so, yeah, my best friend made me an Instagram. So it's, um, my Instagram is Q-U-I-D-I-A-N-N-K-I-N-G. So it's my first name, last name. So it's Qdian King. That's for Instagram. You can also reach me at um, my Yahoo or my phone number. So my Yahoo is Qdian. Hold your phone number. Keep your phone number safe. Give us your email. So my um, Yahoo is Q-U-I-D-I-A-N-N underscore King, K-I-N-G at Yahoo.com. My darling, I hope you get an opportunity to really share your story even on a larger uh, scale because I think there are a lot of um, students, especially at risk. I think a lot of the times it's the ones who are at risk, boys and girls, who need to see that people who are like them, who came from the areas that they came from, can do it and will do it. But it it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of mental resilience. And I just want to wish you all the best i knew your story would be powerful but hearing you tell the story is a lot different than reading an article in right. all in, in 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 all honesty and i just want to thank you for giving me the privilege and the honor okay. of having you in the redirection seat and to the viewers as usual you guys can drop your ratings drop your reviews give me the feedback i know that you will and just tell me how amazing this queen <laughs> whose last name is king, king is and i will definitely um see you guys next week so again thank you for making it redirection with Terry carell and my guest today was Curian king